Welcome, this is Jessica Ortner and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Hello and welcome to episode 40. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you had a chance to listen to last week's episode with Scarlett Lewis, the mother who lost her dear son after the Sandy Hook shooting. I was so inspired by her courage and her openness and her love, how she took such pain and she found purpose and she found forgiveness. And This week is the perfect follow-up. In this next interview, I get to chat with a dear friend of mine who has been in the heart of the conflict uh, at Standing Rock, and she shares how we can get involved in causes we believe in while still taking care of ourselves, while still feeling like we are being guided by something greater than ourselves, by still connecting to our spirituality. You know, we live in a world right now where there is a lot of conflict and we need voices, we need activists, and that can be very scary. So we explore that. We explore this issue around Standing Rock, this challenge, what it means for the future. And we also explore how we can stand up for what we believe in and still find the joy in life to be able to give and then replenish ourselves. It's a great conversation, and I really hope that you enjoy it. This interview, this all of these episodes are sponsored by The Tapping Solution. And in the last show and in this show, We mentioned tapping, the power of tapping. If you're new to tapping, this is my passion. You can learn more about it at thetappingsolution.com. And right there on the homepage, there is a free introduction to tapping. And you can download a CD, Tapping in the Morning and Evening for Stress Relief. So check that out. That's thetappingsolution.com. And let me quickly formally introduce my guest. We're speaking to Heather Dane, who is the author of two spectacular books. She wrote The Bone Broth Secret and Loving Yourself to Great Health. She wrote both these books with the amazing Louise Hay. She is widely considered a 21st century medicine woman. She really draws from her Native American lineage, and she combines that with her her knowledge in science, with really cutting-edge technology. She talks all about that, so let's just jump right in it. But before, let me quickly say, if you love it, share it. This is an act of love, so spread the love. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Heather. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Jess. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we always have such a good time, and I'm thrilled that you are here because I personally have learned so much from you, I mean, for years now, but especially lately with all the work that you're doing um, at Standing Rock. And so I'm really interested to learn more about that, to really share more about that. Um, As you know, Heather, this podcast is called adventures and happiness. And in the intro, I say that 
our time is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. And man, life seems very complex at the moment. There's a lot of unrest, um, a lot of changes. It's a very tense political climate. And so I'm curious for myself because I have been asking myself, how can I be a voice for what I believe in? How can I be a voice for those who aren't being heard? And at the same time, not allow anger and frustration to take over. Because I truly believe that the better we feel, the better we are, the better things that we can do for the world. So I want to explore that in, in like so, so much. I'm being very ambitious um, for this next hour. But Heather, I'd love to start with hearing a bit about your background and what called you to show up at Standing Rock. Wow, I love everything you just said. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Okay. Uh, so, I um, my background is that I I actually have a, a I'm Native American. My father is on my father's side, and I am Oneida Haudenosaunee. We're people of the Longhouse, and um, many people may know of Haudenosaunee as Iroquois, mm-hmm. and. I grew up with a lot of my cousins lived on the reservation, grew up on the reservation, grew up with a lot of the traditional Native American culture and ceremony and language. And I grew up off the reservation. So I didn't grow up immersed in all of that. But I grew up with a very strong belief in nature medicine and a love for Mother Earth, where Mother Earth is our relative. And all the creatures on Mother Earth are our relatives, and they all have a meaning, a power, and a voice. And I think that that's largely why I ended up getting into the natural health world. I really believe that nature is our relative and that nature provides us with everything that we need. In Chinese medicine, one of the things that they say is that when we need to heal, we have to go back to the mother, Mother Earth. And Native American medicine really follows those principles. So I've been in natural health officially after leaving my corporate job and realizing that my passion is to help other people heal. I left corporate and I've been in natural health for about 12 years now. And I've been working as a health coach and I specialize in epigenetics and nutrigenomics. And the idea of epigenetics, as many people may know from Dr. Bruce Lipton's work, is that there is something outside of our DNA, outside of our genetics, that determines our health. That our genetics are only 5% of our health and that they are more of a potential. They're more of our potential for all the good and all of the challenges that can happen in our life from a health and a mood perspective. We actually have 95% of our health in our own hands. We're empowered and we, we didn't get taught this. So the idea that we can take 95% of our health into our own hands is amazing. But science tells us that the way we do this is that we work with what we consume, our thoughts, our food, and our lifestyle. And so those can become healing techniques for us to think really about what it is that we really want to consume, what it is that we really want to be thinking, and how we want to be living our lives. And if we, the, the, the thing that I find fascinating is, is I dive into ep- epigenetics and I work at the genetic level with my clients. When I look at the way we're living today and the thoughts that we think today and those kinds of things, and, and you turn the page back to the way our grandparents and their grandparents did things, many of the 
health issues that we're having today would never have come up if we were still living the way our ancestors were living. So that just is another story to say, it doesn't mean that we have to go back in time and live off the land and be farmers and things like that. That's not what it means. But what it means is that there are certain things that they did. Largely, they were out on the earth, their feet were on Mother Earth, and they were eating healthy whole foods from Mother Earth. They weren't doing much from the science lab with the pharmaceutical drugs and the pharmaceutical food. They weren't doing those a lot from the science lab. They were Everything that they were doing was natural and from nature. And so if we could just think a little bit more about that, then we would be healthy. So along comes Standing Rock, and I hear about it. And and it was interesting because I heard about it right after I met one of my cousins that I hadn't ever met. I had met her mother, I had met her sister, but I hadn't met her. So here we both are in our 40s, meeting each other for the first time. And she had grown up with a very traditional Native American culture. And we were talking about our great-grandmothers, and our great-grandmothers were clan mothers and the wolf clan in the Haudenosaunee tribe. And we um, we were talking about how our great-grandmothers were the first Oneida women to go to the federal courts to fight for our land. Because while many of my cousins were growing up, they were living on the Onondaga tribe, which is a neighboring tribe to Oneida, because Oneida had lost all of their land They had treated land, about at least 250,000 acres, that had been taken away little by little by little by the government because they wanted the resources on that land. Their treaties are are written. There are papers that have been written to say, you get to have this land. A lot of people have this misconception that Native Americans own all the land all across the United States, and that if we were to just honor the treaties, it would mean that that Native Americans owned all of the land. That's not true. The treaties are actually about the land that was given to the Native Americans when the Europeans came here. So a lot of them were written in the 1800s, actually, to say, we will declare this land yours. But then over the years, because Native American land has 1.5 trillion of the future coal and oil resources, everybody wants it. Everybody wanted it back in the day that there was gold found on the land. And so little by little, those treaties were tread upon and eroded, not through agreement, but just from a mercenary perspective of wanting the resources on those on that land. So our great grandmothers actually took the first land claim case to federal court and started to win our land back. So I've known for a long time about treaties. And when Standing Rock came up, it was more than the environment. So for me, what what spoke to me is it's about oil that is tainting our water, our air, and our soil. It's about treated land that has been taken away, that actually rightfully belongs to the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. And it's it's also a place where spirituality meets activism because it is a peaceful protest. It's a prayerful protest where there are no weapons and everyone is standing together. That being the case, we're seeing over 300 indigenous tribes from around the world come together to support this because I think everybody who started to see this going on was saying, what is happening at Standing Rock? What's different about Standing Rock? And why do I feel so called to go to go and be a part of it? And so all of these things together to me, as I was watching it, I thought, I really want to go. And I didn't know why 
specifically I wanted to go, but I knew that I had to go. And I remember my husband was on a business trip and I, I called him and I said, I've, I've booked tickets. I'm going by myself. I'm just going to go. I really feel called to go. And if somebody wants to come, then great. But I know I need to be there. And I put something out on Facebook, letting my friends know I was going. And one of my friends who was a Facebook friend that I had never met before, but we had been doing a lot of corresponding on Facebook for about five or five plus years. She said, I, I really feel like I want to go too. And so we ended up meeting there in Bismarck at the airport and driving out to the camp and spending the next few days there just sort of getting oriented to the movement and what was going on. Right. Amazing. And as I began to do research, I started to follow this more closely as you started your journey because I was watching you on your journey and I began to investigate more. And what I think is great that you're bringing up and I think we really have to look at is not just what's happening right now, but also what's happened in the past. Because you had said to me, uh, we were chatting over text and you said, we're addressing a wound that's not only happening right now, but it's a wound from the past. Um, I also think it's worth pointing out um, that this pipeline was not initially meant to go through the reservation, that it was meant to go through another area where there was much more money and, you know, just frankly, a privileged area and they didn't want it. So they quickly changed it and went through the reservation. I think that's it's when I saw the map and I saw how this route through Standing Rock is not even the most efficient route. They were just taking it because they felt like it was easy to go through that land. That really struck me. So my question is, as you begin to go there and you're now united with many, many people, you know, that have Native American roots or people that are just called to stand, as they're having these discussions about stopping this pipeline, what does it really represent to them? You know, what are the stories that you're hearing? Kind of where does this real um, passion to stand together for so many months where does that come from? What are the stories that are being shared? Well, I think one of the interesting things about it is that Native Americans are really the original custodians of the earth. Mm -hmm. And because we think of the earth as relatives, there's a there's a voice that Native Americans have about the earth that is a little bit different than modern times. And I can say that because, you know, I have one foot in my Native American roots and one foot in my European roots. And I'm learning new things as I go and talk to all of the people at Standing Rock, too, because, you know, with 300 indigenous tribes, you're learning the um, the similarities and the differences in culture and in, with indigenous peoples. You know, there there's there's many similarities and many of them are that they're the original, not only original organic farmers, but they're also the original uh, environmentalists and sustainability advocates, because they would say that we are only to take what we need for ourselves and leave the rest for the next seven generations of humans and the next seven generations of the species. So everything they think about, they're thinking about the next seven generations or the future. And so the thing about oil, it's something that Native Americans have dealt with for a long time. And when you look at North Dakota and you look at the poverty that is um, exists in the Native American tribes in the Sioux tribe in, in North Dakota, you understand that they don't have the ability to fight 
in the courts over these things. They don't have the lawyers. They don't have the money. And so when oil money comes in, they know this. Mm-hmm. They know that they can they actually help to fund the police departments. They give them equipment and things that they would never have had the money to have. And they give them training to help know what to do so that they can deal with anybody that might be standing up and trying to protest against oil coming into their town. There is precious few resources left there because the oil has already tainted the water. Sometimes people will fill a glass of tap water and show you that it doesn't look even clear. It's not, it's a little bit brown. And so their water is not really that great anymore because of other pipelines that have gone through. When the pipelines come through, they bring even more poverty. They bring drugs. There are things called man camps where these oil workers come in and they start, there's violence against women, there's drugs, there's all kinds of things that start to happen. And so they've been, they've been sort of traumatized by the oil industry for decades. Mm. Pipelines are new and a lot of people say, oh, well, they're safer than the trucks and they're safer than the trains. But they're actually not safer than the trucks and the trains. And part of the reason, and I'll go into some of the stories too, because there's amazing spiritual stories here. But the pipelines, um, when, when, when you take tar sand oil and you get it ready for the pipeline, there's still sand in it. So it's like peanut butter. It doesn't really flow through the pipe very well. So they have to add corrosive chemicals to it. When they add the corrosive chemicals, it thins out the oil so that it can flow through the pipeline. But what it also does, because they're corrosive, is it corrodes the pipes. So the pipes are destined to fail no matter what. And the oil companies actually get paid by the insurance companies to clean it up. So the oil companies own all the, all the chemicals to clean up a spill, and they own the companies that clean up spills. So they're getting paid on all ends of this whole process. The, the worst part of the pipe is the the fittings, the weldings that are fit together for the pipe. So oftentimes, because of the corrosive chemicals, there is going to be a leak. There's going to be a leak into the soil. And when they say that the the pipe is going to go 90 feet below the Missouri River, which is the case in, in North Dakota in the Standing Rock land, you know that 90 feet of soil is not enough to stop the oil from spreading into the water because soil is not a barrier. Soil carries things. So we know that that a spill is inevitable. We know that there have been 132 oil spills in the last year and that we, we also know that the equipment does not have a detector if there's a small spill. There have been 60-foot geyser spills that have not been detected until the farmer sees it and, and reports it. So we know that, that it, there are a lot of dangers when it comes to pipelines and how they can affect our environment. So this is what they know, and this is why they're saying no more. We don't want this anymore. And there's one woman who stood up who owns the Sacred Stone Camp, and she stood up and she said that she owned a lot of land out there, and she said, we can't do this anymore. One woman, she said, I'm not an activist, and it's LaDonna Allard. She, she said, I'm not, a, I'm not an activist. I am a woman who cares about the earth. And she started talking to her people in the area and they all got together and started camping together on her land, which became the sacred stone camp. And we hear a lot about the sacred stone camp. It's one of the camps in the standing rock area. So they all started praying together. And there was a prophecy that said, if we pray together, we'll win. 
And so they started believing in that prophecy and they started praying together. And little by little, as more people heard about this, they, they wanted to join because I think any environmental activist becomes very interested because most people who care about the environment and start to look at what's happening with the pipelines want to be a part of stopping them and keeping fossil fuels in the ground and going towards renewable energy like wind and solar. Well, you know what blows my mind, though, is that we are going in that direction. That oil isn't even for us. It's to be shipped away, isn't it? All pipeline oil is to be exported. So especially with the the decrease in the oil prices, people are now saying, you know, well, we don't really need this oil. So they are, they're already planning on exporting the oil. Right. So it's so here we're we're tainting our own resources, our air, our soil, our water so that we can ship it out to other countries, which is another thing that's upsetting people. And I really believe that we have a lot of smart people, a lot of smart scientists and a lot of smart people in this world who, if we put our minds to it, we, we have to obviously stop the flow of money in one area, oil and coal, and think a little bit harder about how we can solve this. And it's going to cost money and it's going to take a little bit of time. But we're all we're getting there already. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we if we just were willing to be patient and put our mind to it, we could we could change. But the oil companies are pretty powerful. They're, they were making money while everybody else was having challenges during the economic downturn. And so they're very powerful. And they I think right now they've got their hands in the pockets of a lot of politicians. And that makes it easier for them to win these little battles that are happening and and continue with oil and coal. And everybody always says, well, what are you going to put in your cars? Well, you're not putting the oil from the pipelines in your cars. It's just that oil is meant for other things. And it's certainly not meant for us in the US. So when people ask that question, they're asking it because they don't fully understand how that oil is being used. Yes. You shared a really great, uh, or you wrote a very great Facebook post where you really kind of went up against every different type of rebuttal, every criticism that people on the other side have, um, and not in a, not to start an argument, but to share some some facts. And it was really interesting. So I'm going to put that in the show notes, um, thetappingsolution.com okay, forward slash notes. Now, since we, we scheduled this interview, and since we scheduled it to today, when we're actually doing it, right now we're recording, it's December 8th, there has been some really big news from the Obama administration. Um, I'd love to hear about, about that. I, I heard that the Army Corps is now denying permits. Uh, what does that actually mean, and what does the future look like? So right now, the Army Corps of Engineers owns the land that's at, they actually don't own it, but technically they own the land that can't, that the camp Osheti Shigoi is on. That's the largest camp in the Standing Rock movement. There's probably about 5,000 people there. There may be a little bit more right now, but there have been five to 10,000 people on that land. That is actually treated land for the Standing Rock Sioux tribe from the 1851 and 1868 Fort Laramie treaties. So that camp is there because um, they're really close to the front line of where the drilling is happening and where they'd like to stop the drilling of the Missouri River in the Lake Oahe area. And uh, the easement or the denial uh, from the the Army Corps of Engineers under the Obama administration, so that means that it's only until Obama leaves office 
there's been a denial of drilling, which is a huge victory because right now what that means is that the that um, the energy transfer partners cannot drill under the Missouri River, which is what they were just about to do. So that we, it was stopped just in time where, where the drilling cannot take place underneath the Missouri River. So it's a huge victory. And many people were concerned that it was a distraction and that, that um, energy transfer partners was going to drill anyway. Well, they haven't yet, but also at the same time, there's been a major blizzard. So nobody's really doing anything out in North Dakota right now except for staying in and staying off the roads. So we don't know yet whether there's going to be illegal drilling. There has been in the past where there was a stay that was requested of drilling and they were drilling anyway. So we think that they won't do it because it's so nationally known now that that the permit has been denied for now that we think that they won't do the drilling, but we're, but nobody knows for sure. The other thing is that right away we had the a senator in North Dakota who was who was already in court trying to reverse the decision. And on Friday in Washington, D.C., uh, tomorrow, which would be December 9th in Washington, D.C., there's going to be a court case where they're going to talk about this decision and see if it can be reversed. So there's the it's not over. It, the the whole thing is not over, but there has been a stay for a period of time, which is is a big victory for the movement. And it, it does mean that we know that people are listening and that we know that everyone's prayers and everyone's letters and everyone's calls and all of the support that's been happening for Standing Rock is working. Mm-hmm. So that it, it, I think I think what what I want to say about that is that all of our voices matter. And it's easy to think that we're one tiny little person or we're one tiny little community and what difference does it make because there's all these big government people and lobbyists that are that are against us and they're so much more powerful but the the truth of the matter is that when we care about something strongly and we gather together and we lock arms and we believe in each other we can do anything and and standing rock is is a model showing us that and i find it fascinating because it's a model showing us that before we go into a trump administration that a lot of people are scared of and I think, you know, regardless of what political views people have, there's large populations of people who are scared that that there's going to be hate and intolerance and racism and oppression from this new administration, because those things have been voiced before Trump went into office. Those things were voiced. So whether a person agrees with it or not, we just need to be aware that there's an, a huge population of people who are scared right now. And. I think that when people get scared, sharing our fears, I, I just interviewed um, the 2016 women peacemakers. There were there were three women from Nigeria, Kenya, and Pakistan, all from war and torn countries. And one of the things that they said is the first thing that happens is you share your fear. Because the minute you share, you think there's a problem and you share your fear and you voice it. It's no longer a problem because now we can start doing something about it. Yes. And you, you you band together with people who care, other people who are who are as passionate about it as you are, where it comes from your heart. You band together. And that's what happened at Standing Rock. You had a whole tribe of people at Standing Rock with one woman who said, I'm nobody. I'm not an activist. She's I don't know. She's an elder in the tribe. So it's not like she's some 20 year old warrior. You know, she's a she's an elder in the tribe. And she stood up and said, I'm concerned. 
And then people started joining her. And this one woman who's never had any titles or, or any fame or anything started a movement that has millions of people from around the world paying attention and thousands of people showing up, including many thousands of veterans. Finally, you know, veterans started to notice what was happening. And they said, we used to go to other countries to protect human rights and we're seeing human rights violated in our own country and we need to go. And so now we've got veterans and it started with this one woman who decided to speak up and share her fear among her community. Yes. Yes. Now, when I was when I showed up the first time, Jess, uh, I was sort of struggling with the same amazing things that you mentioned in the beginning of this podcast. You talked about this idea of how do we stand up for what we believe in and how do we do it in a way that that keeps our spirituality intact and that isn't so full of anger that all we're doing is spewing out anger and violence. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. How do we stand up and believe in ourselves, even if we know other people aren't going to agree with us or we're afraid that somebody who seems more powerful is going to kick us out of the out of the tribe? You know, and I when I showed up on Standing Rock my first day there, I was walking around. It was much warmer. It was in September. I was walking around and there was this beautiful, large Native American man. And he had come from the Colville tribe in Washington. We just sort of walked up to each other, which is kind of what happens when you're at Standing Rock, because you're sort of walking into a place where everyone loves and accepts each other and everyone wants to know how you got called to come. And so we sort of walked up to each other and he began telling me why he was attracted to coming to Standing Rock. And he, the day that I arrived was a day after there was a, a prayerful action. They don't have protests, they have actions where they go and pray at the site of drilling. And when they're there, they have no weapons and they stand and pray and do some ceremonies. And then the police have been spraying them with pepper spray and it's even gotten worse than that. And he said to me, yesterday, I heard the call to go do it to go up because the police and the DAPL security people, that's the Dakota Access Pipeline security people were coming to the camp. And he got the call to go up. And he said, as I was running towards the fence of camp, I started to feel this tug in my heart. And I, I was really scared. And I felt this fear deep inside of me. But then I looked to my left and I looked to my right and I looked at the people I was standing next to. And I decided that I had to believe in my brothers and sisters. I had to believe in the people that were with me and I had to believe in my prayers. And if I could only just believe in those things, then I would have the courage I needed to move forward. And that's what propelled him to lock arms with his his uh, brothers and sisters around him and say, we have no weapons, but we're going to continue to stand here and fight for what we believe in. And that really changed me, that one conversation, this this big man that you would think is not afraid of anything. You know, we, we often look at people and we think they're not afraid, but I am. And while a part of me, when, when I'm afraid of something, would have wanted to run off in the opposite direction and go hide somewhere, I changed my mind in that one conversation and being at Standing Rock because I thought, you know what, these people are standing there willing to die to fight for what they believe in or to stand up for what they believe in. And, the, and when I think that when you, when you, um, when you're willing to just believe in your prayers, believe in your intentions, gather together in your like-minded community, and you can believe and trust in those things. It can, it can be like a, an armor. 
if we could believe, if we could use our belief as an armor, then we wouldn't have to be afraid of anything. Mm. And I know this in my health work because I talk to people about creating a spiritual immunity. Our spiritual immunity is the first layer in when it comes to being really healthy. You know, we have an immune system and many of our immune systems are weak for a variety of reasons. But if we can build this spiritual immunity by looking at what it is, those unfulfilled desires of the soul and bringing those things forward. And and when we look at unfulfilled desires of the soul, we're finding what we believe in that may not be popular. And we're standing up for that. And that builds our spiritual immunity. So here are these people going out with no weapons and no armor, but their armor is their belief. So this is my question. I was sharing with someone about how upset I was about something that had happened in the news. And this person responded to me by saying, don't put that negative negativity out there. Just think positive. Like, it's not going to be that bad. Just think positive. And... Although I believe in the power of positive thinking, there's also something to be said around seeing what is happening when we're seeing other people hurting, listening as they share their fear, their fear uh, and their uncertainty for those who might not feel the same to be able to listen. You know, like I, I am an immigrant to this country. I was not born in this country and my parents immigrated here. That being said, I have a lot of privilege and um, and I'm not a Native American and I don't have Native American heritage. So all I can do is listen to their story and have compassion and and be a voice and do what I can. So so, but this is something that I've been thinking a, a lot about lately, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you uh, on this podcast is to kind of explore this idea of how do we think positive? How do we not just buy into the fear, right? But how do we mm-hmm. also see when things um, need to change? You know, sometimes we need to acknowledge a pain in order to heal it. So I know my my question uh, isn't completely clear, but I think you might have an idea of, of what I'm asking. <laughs> yes, it's clear because we talked about this on the first visit. Uh, th- this is, It's a beautiful question, Jess, because the thing is, and the thing that I discovered while we were standing on the land it's in, in Standing Rock in North Dakota is Anger is is motivating. Mm-hmm. All the, we have we have to stop thinking in this in the spiritual world that the only way to be is to be positive. Being positive is one side of the equation. Being and I'm not going to call it so much being negative, but the the things that we judge as negative emotions can propel us. Sickness can propel us to transform ourselves into health. Darkness can propel us to transform ourselves into light. Anger can tr- can propel us to take action to create change. And so the difference becomes, how are you going to ride that emotion of anger? It's not about not being angry. It's about recognizing that something, anger is an emotion that tells us a story. It tells us that something's not right. And it may be not right within us or not right within the world or whatever it is, but something we're we're determining that something's not right. And so if we explore the anger to say, I want to understand what's not right about this and I want to start taking action on it, we've now been propelled into the journey of change. And I think that that if we start looking at emotions that way, we can stop being so afraid of them. 
I don't want to suppress anger because it's going to turn out to be a health issue. We can't, that's not the way to do it. You know, tap it out. You know, it's like with tapping, you want to, you want to acknowledge the stuff that's the negative crappy stuff that's in there so that you can see it, name it and do something about it and release it. And that's what they're doing at Standing Rock. They're seeing it and naming it. But every single day, and this is true of the Native American culture, is that there's prayer and ceremony as a regular part of life. There's meaning, prayer, and ceremony as everything everything that happens in life has a meaning, a prayer, and a ceremony. And there's constant smudging going on. There's there's sacred fires. There's... there's um, there's things that that traditions that are continuing to be upheld and those things bring us back into a place of positivity so for example i start my day at 7 a.m with the water ceremony at standing rock where the women are the keepers of the water and so the women lead this ceremony and the men follow behind and the men are the protectors the women are the keepers and the men are the protectors and so the men are behind the women and we all walk towards the water And on the way, anybody that wants to meet us on the journey to the water, we give them water and we give them a prayer. And when we get to the end, we we give an offering of tobacco and an offering of clean water into the Missouri River. And this is our way of thanking the water and respecting the water because water is life or mini wichoni, which is what you may have heard people saying. It means water is life. And then the men help us back up the hill and and walk back behind us. And that's how we start the day. And then there's a sacred fire where we're listening to drumming and chanting and, and singing. And it's sort of like each of the, as you listen to the drumming and you listen to the chanting, your chakra, I'm standing there feeling this and feeling every chakra being lit up. You can't stay in negativity when you're doing things like that. When you're participating in a meaningful ceremony, it's like participating in meditation doing a tapping, having a tapping experience. These things are purifying us. And that's what's happening all day long is there's purification of any kind of negativity from the body. It doesn't mean that we stop standing up for the things that we want to change. It doesn't mean that we don't get angry and that anger propels us to action. It just means that we're letting go of the holding on to anything that might be poisonous and negative within us. Yes. And so often, simply taking action helps us feel that relief. And, and other times, we have to create these rituals for ourselves. You know, the other day, when I was feeling angry and upset, you know, the more I was reading about Standing Rock, and the more I was questioning myself as, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, how can you support um, these people? As I was questioning and I, and I was decided I wanted to take action, I reached out to you. I booked you for the podcast. I donated. And then so – that, so that was my action. That was like, okay, I'm going to – I have a platform. I'm going to use my platform to share this message. I'm going to yes. donate resources. But I have to say that although I did feel better, I still just felt – I just felt heavy. I felt really, really yeah. heavy. Yeah. And so I – took a bath and I tapped in the bath. I had to do something. And so I feel like now in this political climate, it is action, letting go, action, letting go, action, ritual, action, ritual. Yes. Just we have to create that for ourselves. And it's not once, it's every day, just the same way we take a shower, we have to clear our energy, we have to take care of our emotions. So yes. a- as we 
as we take that knowledge from from your ancestors in those rituals, how how can we begin to implement that into our own life? I used taking a bath and tapping as an example, but is there anything else that you find helpful to do to help let go? Yeah, I I, I want to share a little bit of a story so that you can understand how much you actually are helping Jess and and any of anybody who's praying and who's supporting is really helping. First thing is, is there anything more powerful than standing up for somebody who can't stand up for themselves? You know, the earth doesn't have a, a, a language other than earthquakes and other natural disasters that we just dismiss as, oh, that was a tragedy. You know, anybody that doesn't have the language or the power or the ability to get their voice out there, there's nothing more spiritual than standing up because that's being of service. And you use your large platform as a service to get the word out so that people can hear what's going on. And, um, and I think that that is huge right there. Prayers are huge too. And there's other things like when I, when I arrived the second time last month in, in standing rock, the night that I arrived, I had, we got to camp and we were planning on, it was the afternoon. We, we were planning on getting trained for action the next day. And the, they train you to take part in a peaceful action. They want to make sure that no one is doing anything violent, that everybody knows how to support each other. And so they give us training on that. And you're not allowed to go out on a prayer action unless you have been trained. So we arrived after the training had taken place. And we decided that the first place we could be of service was in the kitchen because we all cooked. We all, you know, were nutritionists and we went in. And we went into the mess tent and we began to help with the meal prep. About an hour after we got in there, the call, the emergency call came out. And it was an emergency call because it was the night of the November 20th Backwater Bridge incident that many of you may have heard about where uh, you may have heard of Sophia Wolanski, whose arm got blown off by a grenade during that night. What happened that night is that there was a prayerful action taking place and the police, it was about 24 degrees, the police started spraying water cannons to create hypothermia among the people that were in that action. They also threw concussion grenades and some of the grenades started fires that had to be put out. They were um, targeting medics who were pulling people out who had been injured and, and either pepper sprayed or sprayed by rubber bullets. And the people who were there who have actually been journalists in war zones said that it was like a war zone out there. My friends and I were back at, at the mess tent and we were hearing that this was taking place. And I began to feel guilty that I wasn't out there. And I began to wonder, should I go out anyway, even though I haven't been trained, but I needed to respect the process where, you know, they don't want you to do that unless you're trained. And I was also afraid. I still wanted to go, but I was afraid. So I felt sort of guilty. I'm in here and they're all out there. And so that we got the call, we need food for the medics. So we were rushing around making food for the medics. We were making food for injured people. We were getting tea ready for people who needed to be warmed. They needed to get out of their, their wet clothing. And then the people started streaming in and we were serving them food. And the people who were streaming in were those who had been pepper sprayed or water cannon, but they were still standing. And they, we saw the trauma in their face. And I began to realize in that moment, as the four of us were serving everyone, that we were providing a service 
we were nourishing people. We were uh, we were a safe space and loving space for them as they came through the line to get food. And they all came through the line and they thanked us profusely like we were providing them the most amazing thing. And we were because we were nourishing them. We were giving them warm, comforting food. And I thought in that moment, as guilty as I felt that I wasn't out there on the front line, that I was doing my thing, that I am a, I am somebody who understands how to nourish people and, and that nourishment comes in the form of love and it comes in the form of healthy food and warm tea and things like that. And that that was the greatest service that I could provide for them because when warriors are out doing whatever it is they're doing, they need to come home to somebody who's going to take care of them. And those of us who are not at Standing Rock and are out there doing whatever it is we can do, spreading the word, doing what you're doing, Jess, using your platform, using your voice, praying, those things matter because we need strong, energized people who are not traumatized on the front line who can be a safe space for us to return to. And those prayers matter. Every time people get out and report and we see all those comments, those beautiful comments on Facebook and the love, and we hear that people are standing with us and all of that kind of thing that's happening when we're at camp and we're reporting out to people, it matters and it is nourishing and it makes a difference. Thank you for that reminder. And and it's it's great to know that prayers matter, like they matter. And I think we need to hear that um, yeah. because sometimes we feel like it's not enough, but it's it's powerful and it's a place to start. And sometimes when we're in that space of prayer, we also gain more clarity. Yes. Prayer, prayer is the, is the fuel that takes us from anger, anger to, uh, spirituality. It's the, it's the, it's the way that we can blend activism and spirituality as we do it in prayer, whatever, if, if prayer could be an affirmation, whatever you believe in, but it is like that fuel that, that takes us from the place of, of darkness to the place of light. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing that is great to hear from you is the importance of sharing this information to being a voice. You know, I have a platform, but this day and age, we all have a platform. I mean, we all have, most of us have social media or ways to communicate with our community. And just knowing that sharing this is important and it takes courage. You know, I said before, like I have been questioning myself when it comes to how involved I want to get into issues um, that I believe in, because I found myself doing a lot, but not doing a lot publicly. And I think it's healthy to question it. And I Mm -hmm. had to question myself and go, okay, am I am I such a people pleaser that I don't want to offend people that I don't agree with? You know, or I don't want to, or I'm so, I I want to avoid conflict at all costs that I don't want to say something that other people might disagree with. And realizing that you do have to have some courage, that it's important to speak up. And the other thing I will say about that is I do strongly believe that we have to listen because there have been people that I have disagreed with when it comes to politics. And when I listen to them, I realize that they are not evil. They have a different set of beliefs or they might have different information. Um, But keeping that communication open, because really what we need to do is to is to come together. Mm -hmm. And you just named a couple of the women peacemaker secrets. Listen and communicate. Come together. Those were huge pieces of I did the nine, their nine steps to creating peace. And listening was huge because a lot of times people just need their voice to be heard. 
and they just need and and that's where we get to find all the parts where we don't agree so that we can figure out how we can agree. Yes. Yes. And to realize what they're experiencing. I mean, yes, there's only one America, but people are living in different Americas. This country is so vast. People are going through so many different situations and we have to listen to those who are hurting, even if we're not seeing it in our own community. Yeah. And you know what, Jess, I think if we bring our humanity to the table Mm -hmm. when we're sharing things that you, you can't really... I think people people listen when you bring your humanity to the table. If we're just bringing our belief, our not belief, but our our platform to the table, this is what I'm arguing about, and we don't share why it's important to us as as a human being. You know what, how this is affecting me, and what I'm thinking about, and how I feel about it. Then we it, it can become. I'm just going to argue about that point, and argue about that point, and argue about that point. I think that what we're seeing with Standing Rock is that they're bringing our humanity to the table and they're talking about things that matter to all of us. We can all agree that the earth is important, you know, and and while some people may believe that money is more important or that oil is more important or something like that, there is a piece I think that we're all awakening to that that the environment is important. And that we might want to have a discussion about that. We can all agree that the Native American treaties have been tread upon for 500 years. And I think that that was a point that got people standing up to listen because people were sharing their stories and sharing the, you know, a lot of people didn't know about the treaties. And so to learn about that and to learn how it affects you personally. I mean, one of my favorite people in this movement has been Candy Mossett. She's with the Indigenous Environmental Network. She's a resident of North Dakota. She's Native American. And she has been sort of traumatized by the oil industry for decades. She's shared very personal stories about how it's affected her family members, how it's affected her community with uh, people who have fallen into drug addiction from the man camps bringing the drugs in. One of her, her best friend was killed by a truck. It was an oil truck that was going through because they would they would speed down the streets without looking, you know, on these on these back roads. And her friend was walking on the side of the road and got run over by one of the trucks. So she's had all of these things happen. And as she shares her humanity and shares her story, she cries half the time. And and then she she goes from crying and sharing her story to saying things that are so powerful that the audience gets up off their feet. And I think that what makes her so powerful and why she's become one of the leaders of the movement is because she's sharing her humanity. And we can't help but feel touched by that. Yes. Well, I see. And you mentioned how all of these tribes are coming together. And I think it's worth acknowledging how unique that is. Just because you're Native American doesn't mean, you know, there's different tribes. Um, yes. You know, there's there's different cultures and there's different traditions and there are certain things that unites all of them. But I think it's important to to recognize the different tribes and to also see the power of them coming together and now there is this spotlight. I mean, now, thankfully, this horrible situation has made us all begin to pay attention to what has happened in the past and what's happening currently in reservations all over the United States. Do you believe that um, this attention from the pipeline is going to help other reservations that are in different places around the United States? I, th- I think it will help in 
in some ways, and I think there's still a lot of work to be done. Right now, Donald Trump is talking about um, privatizing Native American land. And what he wants to do when he says that is he wants to dangle some money in front of certain decision makers in the tribe saying that you're all going to get money if you allow these pipelines and us to go mine for coal on your land because there is 20% of our coal and oil reserves on Native American land. So it's it's quite valuable land at this point from an, a coal and an oil perspective. And he wants to then be able to, in privatizing them, do whatever he wants with these with with energy, you know, with with fossil fuels. The problem in all of this is he's not telling the other side of the story, which when this happens, more poverty usually comes into the tribes, more trauma usually comes into the tribes. And so there is since he has already declared that he wants to do this, I think that a lot of education needs to happen for all of the tribes and for for everyone else because you know as the reason that that Standing Rock has come up with the slogan of water is life is because it's a long time Native American belief and you know Mother Earth is is uh, is our our caretaker it's our mother and it's what supports us and heals us and nurtures us and I think that if we could use this movement as a way to get us all to think a little bit differently about our health, about our future, um, we may be able to, through activism, reach out to all the tribes and make sure that that Trump is not successful in doing that. And it's not just Native American land. We, we really don't want the coal and oil on any of the land. We want to move to renewable energy for for the health and, and safety of everyone. But I think that the, that we're just in the beginning of a a movement that's gained enough power to have the voice be heard so that mm. so that the work can now continue and not just like one of what Standing Rock, the group at Standing Rock, they they what they want to do is they want to take this and go to the next pipeline and the next pipeline and the next pipeline. And they want to use this, um, the the attention and the uh, the support as a way to start making real change. And, and real change from the standpoint of uh, we're bringing love to the table here and we're just going to go out and we're going to gather together with everyone else who feels like this is harming, is going to cause potential harm for the environment for the future. Right, right. And it's very eye-opening to hear that all of these pipelines are destined to fail. At one point, yes. they're going to fail. So we have to look at this closely and having this conversation is so powerful. And I do hope, I do hope that by having this conversation that it doesn't end at Standing Rock and, uh, you know, we go further, not just with other pipelines, but also within these other communities that are really hurting and to be yes. able to have their back and to support them and to provide resources and education so that they can make the best decision. So I I'm feeling, I feel the pain and I feel hope. I feel really yes. hopeful. And yes. um, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us. As well, How can we stay in touch with all the great work that you do? And do you have any other calls to action for us? Yes, actually, I. Uh, if you go to... Um, OshetiShagoeCamp.org. You can stay up to date on um, what's going on. That's the main camp. And they have a donation button. They have all the news and the updates. I would urge everyone to be careful about the stuff that's floating around Facebook and really make sure you go to trusted sources for information. 
Um, you can go to the Indigenous Environmental Network page in Facebook, and that's where Candy Mossett and a number of other people are. I'm sharing news at um, Heather Dane, which is my personal page, and I'm sharing public posts. So if you want to follow me there, I'm 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 tapped into the people that are sharing the the legitimate news. And I make sure I check with everybody at camp and with the people I know before I share anything. And that way we can keep the rumors from Mm -hmm. spreading because sometimes the rumors are meant to provoke people and get them upset when in fact, that's not really what's going on. So I think it's important in any movement in any grassroots movement that people are having communication is important and keeping, keeping to the legitimate non-rumor based updates is important. And then at, at, um, at Heather Dane medicine woman, I'm sharing less about standing rock. I'm sharing about standing rock, but a lot of what I'm doing there is also the more of the, the spirituality of the movement and the love of the movement on my professional page. And on my personal page, it's probably like a 24 seven standing rock right now, because I just want, I want to Uh, really focus on blending the messages of love along with the messages of activism as much as possible, but also keep people up to date from a journalistic or newsworthy perspective. So that those would be great. But Indigenous Environmental Network, for those of you who want to stay with this movement for the future, they are getting they, they have Indigenous Rising Media is another page in Facebook. They're getting in a, a van as soon as Standing Rock is safe. They're getting in a van that's solar powered and they're going to go from pipeline to pipeline and they're going to be reporting out and, and bringing the um, the beautiful prayerful aspects of this movement all across the country so that we can help the environment. Wonderful. Heather, thank you so much for all you're doing and for spending time with us today. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jess. I appreciate it too. And I appreciate you. Thank you.